Welcome to the podcast of Central Church. This is our latest weekly message. Okay, so we're here um, recording this little extra podcast episode for our community as we've been um, looking at the passage in John chapter 8 of um, the woman caught in adultery or the woman who almost got stoned by a bunch of men or the woman who got, got caught up as a pawn um, in a trap for Jesus. And um, we realised in the sermons that we were preaching in the lenses that we were spinning this in, we really weren't going to have much of an opportunity to look at that very last line in the passage where Jesus commands the woman to go and sin no more. Um, but we actually had some interesting discussion around this as a leadership team when we were just um, throwing around ideas for this passage. So we thought we'd record this just to um, give that last line a little bit of space. So I'm going to throw over to Oren. I've got Oren with me and I've got Becca and we're just going to have a look at this. Oren's going to share some stuff and then we're going to have a conversation and we'll see what kinds of goodness come out. So over to you, Oren. Yeah, thanks, Caro. Um, yeah, yeah, it really is an interesting passage and there's just so much nuance here and this interaction with Jesus, the teachers of the law, and of course the woman as well, it's all really interesting. And, um, and in the, yeah, like Kara said, in the general discussions that we've been having, there's been a lot that we can pull out of this. And so, yeah, I'm going to read the passage first and the bit we're going to be focusing on is just one of the last lines that Jesus says, but we'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, so first of all, this is John 8, and I'm just reading from the NIV translation, and it says, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have him, sorry, have a bias, sorry, in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw the stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with a woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No, sir, she said, then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. And so that last line there, that go and leave your life of sin, or more probably famously known, uh, go and sin no more. This last line of Jesus is, uh, it can be a difficult one for us to um, get our heads around. It can be a, quite a confronting one. Um, Jesus just commanding this woman to uh, not sin anymore, to obviously not commit adultery anymore. Um, it's all about also can come across as uh, quite accusing. Um, you know, this woman is very much the victim in this whole ploy to trap Jesus. And he says this to a woman, he doesn't say this uh, to the teachers of the law. Um, it's not about, you know, the man that she was committing adultery with. Um, he just says to this woman, go and sin no more. 
And as we try to hold that, you know, understanding, you know, the loving nature of Jesus, as well as, you know, this quite um, almost harsh sounding command, it's, it can be tough to, to balance that. But something that um, I know I've uh, read and, and heard about, I know Kara has as well, we've had a conversation about it, is the understanding of the commands that we get in scripture from both Jesus and God. And when we get a command, Yes, we understand, yes, it's an instruction from Jesus, from God as what we need to do or his advice for how we should best live our lives. But it's more than that as well. And one of the most useful things that I've heard was that when we get a command from God or Jesus, it's not only just command, but it's also permission. And it's also a promise as well. And that's what we are going to be talking about here um, on this podcast. And so a command in itself, yes, it's an instruction. So Jesus giving this woman the instruction to go sin no more. That's one thing. That, that's how we, at ground level, that's how we understand it. But then if we look at it as permission as well, then it starts to take on a different uh, understanding. And so if Jesus is saying to this woman, she has permission to go sin no more, basically, at least what I hear him saying is that, Jesus is giving this woman permission not to go out and not to have to be a slave or a pawn in this world of men, in this, these games they play, in these, these trappings of Jesus. She doesn't have to live under their corrupt law. She has permission to move higher than that, to be, to be greater than that. She has permission to not to live in this system of sin that she has found herself in. And then if we look at it as promise, uh, to me, this is now alluding to what Jesus actually came to earth to do, the whole point of the incarnation, to die on the cross, to eradicate sin from the world. And so he's promising that she will not, that she will sin no more. Jesus has come to, you know, wash away with sins, to do away way with sins. And so his promise to her is that, she, does, she won't be living a life of sin anymore. He's talking about uh, perfection. He's talking about glory. He's talking about complete union with God again. And that, that's a beautiful thing. And so when we look at any command from Jesus, from God, as not only command, but as permission and as promise, it can take on a whole new life. And we can apply this to really any command. And so if we talk about the, the greatest command that Jesus said, you know, love God above all else. Yes, it's a command to do. And we know that's hard. But if it's uh, permission, we have permission to put God first. We don't have to, you know, be a slave to the wants of the world and to, you know, to chase money and and prestige and empire and things like that. But we have permission to love God. And even though it can be, it can be difficult. It can it can also be simple. And even though you know those others might you know laugh at us or look at us weirdly, we have permission to just love God. And it's also a promise. Again, we have pro- we are promised that we will love God. God will call all back into his arms. And he promises that we'll be there together in union, in love with him again. And it's a beautiful promise that we won't have to you know, be tempted to you know, love and worship other things. We'll only want to worship God alone. We'll be back in that um, relationship as we were originally intended to be in. And it's interesting. So if you go through scripture yourself and every time you come up against the command, look at it as permission, look at it as promise, you'll get some really interesting and insightful um, takes on what God and Jesus is talking about. And I think it really represents 
the heart of God in Jesus, which is a beautiful thing. And so going back to this passage of this woman caught in adultery. Um, so Carol and Becca, what, what are your thoughts around this from the point of view of a female? Because I know talking from a male perspective, I do miss some of the nuances. There, there are things that don't trigger me like I know it has triggered other women that I've spoken to about, about this passage. And, um, yeah, I, I admit I have some ignorance <laughs> in this and I'd love to hear how has how does this last line, Jesus saying, go and see no more, how does that make you feel as a woman probably identifying with this woman Jesus is talking to? And, and, and what do you think Jesus is, is saying here? Great question, Oren. (laughs) (laughs) I think, um, oh, first let me say I think that what, yeah, what you're saying about it being being, um, instruction as well as um, permission as well as promise, it just, it does bring like, it it brings um, texture to these words that ordinarily just isn't there. And um, I think it gives us the ability to hear these words and to read these words with, with, with a different feeling, I suppose, in them. And, yeah, I remember um, a long time ago Eileen Stetch said, you know, I, I don't even know what we were doing. It was in church and she was sharing something and she talked about how important it, it is to pay attention to the soundtrack that's playing in our mind when we're reading the Bible um, because we can have, you know, soundtracks in movies um, do all kinds of things to create mood and to create feeling, to create tension, to create drama, to create love and fear. And she said, you know, we can often have a soundtrack playing in our mind when we read the Bible. And and so I think about this passage and I think, you know, if if the soundtrack that's playing in our mind when we're reading this, this passage and particularly the words of Jesus is, you know, the, I don't know, the theme from Jaws or, you know, Darth Vader's, soundtrack yep. I don't know the, the imperial it. march <laughs> that's the music that's playing mm-hmm. in our head as we're reading go and sing no more then it comes as heavy and you know and hard and gloomy but on the other hand if we have something a different soundtrack playing in our mind if if we have a dance track or i don't know fiance's all the single ladies or I don't know, something else playing in our head when we read yep. Jesus' words, go and sin no more, then it has a different feel to it. And I do kind of think it's important for us all to pay attention to, you know, what's the tone, what's the feeling, what's the soundtrack in our own heads as we read these words and hear these words. And I think that makes a difference. And and I do think that perhaps as women reading this passage and as, as women, I think most women have experienced you know, some form of the patriarchy in their life and some form of discrimination or, or oppression or trauma at the hands of men. Um, yeah, it can be hard to hear those words of Jesus um, because it feels, you, you, you're right when you said, Oren, it feels like the, the, those last words of Jesus after this whole discussion seem to just be focused on this woman going and behaving better. Um, when I just think that, that's a yeah there's so much more going on um than that and I actually don't think that's what Jesus is saying but I do recognize it's easy for us to to perceive that that's what he's saying 
So what are, you, what are, what are your thoughts, Becca? Mm. Yeah, I guess I'm just, I think anytime at Central when we're looking at scripture and we're spinning it and we're reading it in new ways, like, of course, I'm always thinking about how I grew up reading a passage and the Sunday school, especially for me, the American evangelical purity culture of the 90s, you know, Sunday school versions of these stories um, and how, yeah, we just, we had a very one-dimensional reading, very thin, you know, kind of looked at this as like, wow, wasn't, isn't Jesus so merciful to save this woman from probably even thinking of what she deserved, but also the men, they were bad. So they deserved it too. Um, and isn't Jesus merciful rather than what I think Jesus point of the, maybe the point of it being included in the gospels is like, wow, aren't your, aren't your ways, aren't your ways as a community so corrupt and violent and that rather than Jesus coming to save us from our personal sin, we're actually meant to read this as like, Jesus is coming to save us together from our cycles of greed and violence. And so sometimes then I think when I hear that, go and sin no more, um, go and leave your life of sin, however you want to put it, that it just brings it back to that, the way I, I've read it for, you know, 30, 30 years, at least probably, you know, of it being this, these, that sin is our personal choices that we choose. And um, so I guess what comes up for me is like the things I now feel like I could, the questions I could ask Jesus about this situation, like Jesus, Jesus could have said, where is the man? Or, you know, why, why is he not calling the man? Like the man, if she was caught in adultery, where's, where is the man? You know, Jesus isn't even, isn't even looking, talking about that. Um, I guess I have questions about whether this, whether this was even a consensual situation for this woman. Like we know when we, when we looked at the, the story of the, the Samaritan woman at the well, that, that women actually didn't get to choose who they married. They didn't, they could, their parents could divorce them. Um, and so I'm even wondering about this woman, like, you know, is this her just choosing, you know, behavior that's, that's so risky. I mean, it's risky, you know, Adultery is risky in our, in our, in our world, but imagine then knowing that you could be stoned for it. Like if she's actually choosing that risky behavior, is, is that a choice she's actually choosing to make? Or is it more of a matter of how, how is she carrying trauma in her body? You know, if, if she was even choosing this situation, let alone, what if this is, there's coercion happening? You know, what if this is how somebody's paying off a debt in her world? You know, like there could be lots of reasons why. Um, but Jesus doesn't actually like probe that. Um, so I guess those are the questions I would maybe ask Jesus. And those are the things that come up for me. And I think also how women's bodies um, in religious settings are often demonized and women are blamed. Women are blamed for men's sexual sin. Um, and that happens, that happens in the secular world as well. But I think it's, as a woman who you know, grew up in kind of a patriarchal, you know, not extremely patriarchal compared to parts of the world, but we still have a lot of patriarchy in the, in church and um, that sometimes it feels too soon to read this passage, you know, it, it feels too soon to hear 
Jesus say, go and say no more as if she, she had a choice to just extrapolate herself from, you know, the experiences that she had. It's interesting looking at this story from a legal point of view and what the actual law of Moses that they're referring to says. Mm. And, um, and we're actually talking about this in, in men's group um, just before, earlier. And the law of Moses states that there, there are two scenarios. So if, if the woman and the man committing adultery, it's consensual on both sides, then they are both to be you know, brought before the council and, and potentially stoned to death. If the adultery is being forced upon the woman by the man, then the woman is you know, pardoned, she's set free, and the man alone is stoned. In either case, the man is stoned. But in this case, right. the man's not even present. And it mm. just shows the corruption and, and the darkness of the, these. It says these are the teachers of the law. These, these are the people, the Jews, that were here to uphold the law. And mm. they were doing the complete opposite. They were using the law, twisting law, and putting this woman in this awful situation while letting you know, the man who, at very least, is you know uh, is involved with this and an equal amount as the women. Worst case scenario, he's forced himself upon the woman. Whatever the case is, mm. he's off scot free mm. and not even mentioned. And it just shows you know the different levels of power that is in this story, and the, and the unfairness of it all. Mm. And so yeah, and so when we look at what Jesus is saying. Uh, through that eyes, I can see like, you know, this woman's been dragged before him by these men unfairly, no justice is being served here whatsoever. Yeah. And then Jesus at the end says, go and sin no more. <laughs> you know, it can, it can feel like, you know, a hand up by Jesus, but then also a slap in the face as well. Mm-hmm. But again, yeah, that's why I think it's so under, important for us to be able to understand because, you know, we know the heart of Jesus, the, the love of Jesus that he displays in scripture again and again and again. And so like you were saying, Caro, there's, there's more to it than what we read at face value. And I think the, the deeper we can dig into the context and into the scripture and into the, the heart that Jesus displays at all times, the, the more of the heart of God we can find in that as well, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one of the things that, you know, it does intrigue me about the way, the way we read this passage um, is the fact that we're still so conditioned, I think, to see sin as naughty behaviour. And so Mm. when we hear these words of Jesus, go and sin no more or go and leave your life of sin, we automatically read it as, you know, go go and do better. (laughs) Go and Mm. stop doing naughty things. Um, Your life is naughty and you should, should, should stop those bits. And I just think that that is such a um, bankrupt version of what sin actually is. Like, yeah, and I don't know that it's particularly helpful. Um, I think, you know, because it, it really doesn't, it really does, like you were saying, Becca, it individualizes sin as, as mo- like basically moralism, like you've got to do the right behaviours and, and completely misses the point, I think, that sin can be systemic. Um, and I, I often come back to, you know, and I've, I've picked up a lot of this from, you know, Brad Jerzak's work and he's, will often talk about 
sin as sin as a sickness um, or maybe even like sin as a as a wounding in us as opposed to sin as naughty behavior and so like if someone is unwell if someone is sick you can't command the sickness out of them (laughs) Um, you can't just do better and your diabetes will you know will fix itself you can't just like so I think there's a, a sense here that we have to get a better understanding of sin um, so that we can we can understand really what Jesus is getting at. And I think if we could see sin as as corruption, as as um, as sickness in us and in the world, as as systems that we um, both willingly and unwillingly participate in, then. I think this statement of Jesus can be taken out of the moral category and yeah, maybe placed more in the freedom category of like some of the things that you were saying earlier on. It's like, it's permission. You're free. I give you permission to leave the systems of sin that keep you stuck. I give you permission to be free, like be free from all that is hindering you to be well, to be, to be healed from that, from the way sin is is wounding you. Like I think that 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 brings a to a healing message in her life, but also confronts um, confronts the systems, confronts the powers that are in existence that are driving this whole thing in the first place. And so, I just think for me that's really important. Um, like to remember what to like to think to think differently about what sin is. Um, rather than just that moral good behavior thing. Yeah, and I think I, I do like, Warren, how you framed the permission. And if you think of, let's say this woman, you know, has, is choosing risky behavior, let's say, let's say she is free, you know, doing that out of a, some kind of freedom. Um, but that would be because of pain, trauma, you know, that's how it's presenting itself in her life. And um, mm. but to then have, and, and that trauma likely inflicted at least somewhat by men. And yeah, I don't know, just imagining Jesus as a man, an, an actual man, you know, in her life who stands up to the patriarchy, the powers, mm. the violence of men and stands as a man who's, you know, saving, saving her life, you know, protecting her, but not in a way of like just blocking, but actually disarming the powers that want to destroy her. He, he shames the powers. He, he holds up the mirror to them and they, they walk away. They have to, you know, and that there could be something that's quite liberating and have that happen, like a circuit breaker for her or like a, oh wait, like there's a man who thought that I was you know, worthy of love and belonging, worthy to be treated rightly. That those kind of healing relationships do affect us, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I do, I do like the way you phrase that, you know, that you're free to not be a, a pawn in these, these games these men are playing, you know? Um, and we don't always have a choice to walk away from really terrible situations in our lives, but sometimes we do actually have that choice. And, um, but it takes... The courage and it's, it's, sometimes it takes being loved by people well that can give us that sense of courage and freedom to 
you know, like sometimes we, we talk about trauma, which I'm not even sure where I read this, but it can be like a smoke detector that's going off in your, you know, all the time. And you, you are, you're, you're in situations where you're safe, but you hear the smoke alarm and you're running out of the kitchen, even though there's no fire, mm. but, but the, but also conversely, you, you're so used to ha- having the smoke alarm go off that whenever there is a fire and you aren't safe, you stay in these situations that aren't safe, you know, but imagine this like healing moment with, with Jesus being something that kind of even transforms her brain, you know, and that she's like, oh, this is how I meant to be treated. And then she can actually head towards that. You know, that's what we need. We, and whenever we are making bad decisions, like it's usually because of other people's sin in our lives. And um, we need people that show us how we're meant to be treated. And then we can make, you know, mm. more healthy choices. Mm. Yeah, so it's so interesting, Becca, recently I was listening to something, again, I can't even remember who was saying it, but they were talking about those, you know, the, oh, well, the very Christian doctrine of original sin, and um, they were kind of flipping it on its head and, you know, questioning whether or not it's better to, you know, to consider the fact that rather than us all being born into original sin, what we're born into is being sinned against mm-hmm. so you know before we have even sinned we we're sinned against and so there's this this deep wounding i guess that happens in us it's humanity's cycles of greed and violence it's humanity's pride and it's humanity's idolatry and all the things that you know even perfect parents like mess up with very very little children and there's this sense that if we could hold this idea that it's not that we're originally terrible and corrupt, but it's that there is, all of us are wounded in some way. Mm. Spend all of our lives um, figuring out what to do with that wound. And in some cases doing all manner of things that make the wound worse. But here we have Jesus coming in love. And this is why I think he always comes with love and grace. And he always comes um gently and is and he offers healing for that wound like that we like that that moment with that woman when they're both in the in the dust and he's he's face to face with her and you know he says I don't condemn you like that's a very healing moment for a very you know wounded person like that's their words that I know I need to hear like face to face with Jesus in the dust in my in my dark moments, in my hard times, in my shame and pain, I I I need to to kneel face to face with Jesus and hear Him say, "I don't condemn you." Like, you know, but he any that He only ever comes with love to us. Like that brings, yeah, it does. It, it brings a sense of healing to to stuff in our lives and and gives us like permission and possibility to to choose differently. Like. I think we humans only ever do that out of a place of total acceptance, love and safety. And, and I think Jesus is trying to provide that for this woman in this, in this very small moment. We, it's like a snapshot of her life, but that she might be empowered to, to make a new choice um, wherever possible for her. Um, yeah. And so, so much in this, I think. Yeah. Unpack. Yeah, the whole concept of Jesus empowering 
this woman's, I think it's really interesting as well, because in, in this story, Jesus disempowers the mob. Mm. And if, you know, think back to like what Luke was talking about on the first Sunday, uh, the mentality of the mob and the power is that no one's guilty in the mob. If, if they were to have stoned the woman, you know, who would be, who would be guilty of murder? No one would be because, you know, it, it, it's a mob. There's no one person that's perpetrated this. And so there's safety in the, in the group, but by Jesus saying, you know, he who has not seen cast the first stone, he has broken down that group mentality and made each person accountable for their own sin or not sin, <laughs> but they had all sinned. And so he uses individuality to break down the mob and it disperses. And then he also uses individuality to empower the woman as, as well. And it's just, yeah, I'm just, just blown away by the, you know, this wisdom, this insight that Jesus has like, time and time again in scripture. And it's, you know, it, it's beyond my, you know, comprehension. Like if I was in Jesus' shoes, I would not have the wisdom to, to say what he did. It was so simple. It's just a few words. And he disbanded an entire mob. Um, and it's, yeah, it's just amazing. You know, and that's just a glimpse, I think, of the, the, the love, you know, the, the infinite love that God has for all of us. And it's, it's amazing. And, and it's shown, you know, in, in stories of, you know, twistedness or darkness like this story. But that's where, you know, we see God's light just shine through so, so much brighter. Without judgment, you know, without like without condemnation, it's you know, often people feel self righteous or justified when they judge others because you know God would judge them. They're 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 doing God's work by judging other people who you know don't fit into their understanding of what you know a good person should be. But here, you know, Jesus is saying, Jesus being God, saying, "I do not condemn you." It's not God condemning this woman it's not jesus condemning this woman it's not god condemning us it's it's just love and again giving us the permission to you know step up out of the dust and not be part of that system anymore yeah i think you know i i you can't rewrite the bible so i'm being a bit cheeky i suppose in saying this but <laughs> Could rewrite this passage or edit it slightly I, I would want Jesus to say those words go and sin no more um, when the men are still there and about to walk away or maybe he could say it to their to their backs <laughs> maybe he could shout it to them as well like, <laughs> hey hey you blokes so <laughs> you too you guys you go and sin no more and mm. then because I think it's valid to all of them and I think it's yeah. valid to say that to the crowd too actually who are just passive bystanders in this um, tremendous injustice that was going on so I feel like uh, yeah that's that's you know that's why just my one little probably tiny bugbear with the passage is that it does actually make quite clear that it's just to the woman that he says those words and I know that what's needed for all of us for our world for for everyone is that we all hear those words the the mob the men the crowd the woman like mm. we need to 
go and sin no more. We all need to hear that as instruction, as permission and as promise. And so that that's what I would want to do. Just slight, slight edit on the on oh. but maybe the original, maybe the original hearers and readers would be have been mostly men who would have actually not identified mm. with the adulterous woman and they would have actually been identifying with the, mm. the men. But it's more our, you know how we just, you know, even just recently read everything through this purity, purity lens, yeah. you know, that's not, not very old. Yeah. Um, and yeah, maybe it's just us that, that really focuses on the woman. On the woman. And because we're very individualistic too. And so exactly. we all read this story, probably imagining ourselves as individuals in the event, whether that we're the woman or we're, uh, but we, we don't ever consider our, consider kinship or consider community or consider the us of this that we are mm. we are individuals but we are also part of a collective and our you know so, so I think it's very easy for us to hyper personalize this and not consider the ways in which Jesus is inviting us to see the grand sweep of us as we're as we're hearing these words so um any final thoughts, people? Because I, I feel like it would be good to, to get out any gold nuggets now while, um, while you've got them. Not, not, nothing. Say, oh. Sorry. You can go. I, no, I was just going to say, I think it's just great to do this with Scripture, that we're, mm. allowed, to, we're allowed to wrestle with it together. Mm. Um, we're allowed to ask questions about it. We're allowed to suggest edits. <laughs> we're allowed to... <laughs> you know, reimagine that, that, that this is, this is a, a healthy practice within our faith. Tradition. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. yeah. Thanks and and I absolutely echo that as well. And, and the, the Jews, when they would read scripture, wasn't ever just yeah black and white. It was always wrestled with, it was always debated. And there were you know, gaps were ad-libbed and, you know, it was turned in all sorts of different ways. And and it is refreshing to be able to do this and because, you know, I've, I grew up in the Anglican church where, you know, the Bible is inerrant and it's, you know, this is exactly what it says and can't think anything different. Even the stuff that doesn't make sense, even the stuff that contradicts <laughs> other parts of scripture, it, it all makes sense because and it's perfect because God's perfect. But we need to be able to, you know, look at it and twist it and, and look at it different ways, and, and, but do that together as well. So, you know, in accountability, so we don't go off on too weird tangents. And when we do that, then like we've done here, you know, you do realize that it's so much more than, you know, just go and do good stuff. <laughs> There's so much more that Jesus is saying. There's so much more than the Bible is saying. And it's deeper. And it's, yes, it's for us, but it's also corporately for everyone as well. And that is, you know, the kingdom of God. You know, the kingdom of God doesn't revolve around me and, you know, how good a Christian life I'm living the kingdom of God is the community that we live in it's the people around us on wherever we might be on our walks and our journeys um, with God and it's important to yeah do these journeys together and have conversations like this so yeah, yeah I guess they're my final closing thoughts yeah no that's good well everyone wherever you are listening to this on whatever day you find yourself go and sin no more <laughs> <laughs> go may, may you feel liberated from the systems that oppress you may you feel 
liberated from the cycles that you're stuck in. May you feel deeply healed by the love and acceptance of God. And would you, uh, yeah, I, I really pray that we would all know the promise that sin, sin has, has been conquered and has been dealt with and um, God has torn up the record of sins against us and it is not something that he even pays attention to. Um, so, yeah, I think there's a lot of hope for us as we, as we think and consider this. So, yeah, have a, have a blessed day, everyone. Cool. Thanks, Kara. Thanks, Becca. Thanks for listening. If you want to check out more about Central, visit us at centralchurch.org.au. Music by Chris D'Souza, a beloved member of Central. Ha, ha, ha.